Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, welcoming my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Another summery day here in uh, in heat wave land. We had a minor reprieve, but now it's back to back to hot. So um, just kind of riding it out. I can't believe, you know, summer's marching along. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should mention, I've been thinking that I think I find myself at the place that you and I talk about, I think every summer without fail, where I'm like, I'm ready for it to be over. Like, enough. Yeah, you, you jump into the I want colder weather really quickly. I'm, and I kind of want to hold on to summer. Long. Yeah, it's not so much that I want the colder weather, but it's something about like the long days and the heat that I'm just yeah. like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, I, I'd like it to be cooler. I'd like it to be fall, but you can't, you know, you can't get fall without tumbling right into, into the okay. winter, which is unfortunate. But yeah, it's something about the the summer. And I, I think it's more than just, you know, having the kids around or whatever. Um, I just feel like I'd like a rainy day. I'd like, you know, the, the sun yeah. to go down or something. So yeah, you no, and I are never going to see eye to eye on that one, though. No, no. I think we both hate the depths of winter. But I mean, otherwise, I can tolerate the summer a little bit more than you can, yeah. for sure. But so today we're, we're, we're it's you and me chatting. You and me. Yeah, we got kind of a fun one today. We thought about this a little while ago. Um, it's sort of like whatever happened to, you know, these topics. And yeah. as with any one of these types of shows, the thing hasn't completely gone away, but it's faded incredibly from like the public eye or the public yeah. discourse. Uh, so I think each one of us had a few of these things that kind of came to mind about like, why don't we ever talk about this anymore? And so we've got a few that we're going to run through. And I think we're going to kick it off with one of yours that you threw out. And I was kind of surprised that I hadn't thought of it because it spoke right to my heart. And it's kind of, I call it, whatever happened to megahertz? And, and I guess by that, I mean, computing power. Like, you know, we used to be so fixated on clock speed. You know, how, how many megahertz does your computer have? How much RAM does the computer have? Um, I don't know if you were quite you know, along the same lines as I was. But, you know, when I was in high school, college, early adulthood, I used to be pretty manic about that. And I, I would, you know, mm -hmm. want to get an upgrade every 12 to 18 months. And I wasn't even doing serious gaming or anything like that. You know, it was just sort of the nature of it, that the, the nature of software applications, the nature of operating systems kind of meant that after 12 to 18 months, you could get a significant boost if you upgraded your computer. And I think that's all kind of faded away. So, I mean, what was your experience like, you know, in those times where megahertz and RAM, you know, were all the rage? Yeah. That's sort of my introduction to technology. Um, coming from the journalism side where I worked for newspapers that had nothing to do with technology. And then I, I took a job at a, at a, at a tech magazine at IDG and the, main story that we focused on on a weekly basis it was a weekly magazine was you know what's the next pentium speed from intel that's going to come out um i mean literally this was the most exciting scoop you could get on planet earth was you, if you got you know advanced news about what you know megahertz they were going to go to next and when it was coming and in what type of computer it was going to be in you know that was you know, you, you, that was the gold star for the week as a reporter. And that's where, that was my introduction to it. I have no technical ability. Like you, you understand that whole chips. You did try to explain semiconductors to me one time. And, and I, I appreciate that. I don't know how much I retained, but, um, 
But but yeah, it, it, you know, it was, you know, reporters just tripping over one another to try to figure out what was coming next. And it was like you said, it was in every 12 month to 18 month process. And then the people that were purchasing the computers were all waiting with bated breath for that. That was the thing that you wanted to know when you went to a trade show, you know, what was going to, when was the, the next speed coming out? And then should I upgrade my entire company to new desktops? At the time it was mostly desktops and some laptops. Um, and, and, you know, it really was all the rage and then that just faded. I mean, it, I, just to just toss Intel out there, but that was, what the, the, you know, that was somebody's beat. Um, you only covered Intel as a company. That's all you spent your time doing. Um, and today, I, I don't see that. I, it's almost like a lot of the other things we might discuss today that certain technologies have become so foundational, so enabling that they're just kind of baked in. And the uh, whatever's going on with them is no longer a front page headline. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all about the tipping point, right? Like, you can certainly find people still obsessing over compute power. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about using GPUs for a lot of artificial intelligence or machine learning applications. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how great Apple's new processors are now that they're doing their yeah. own work and putting those into their devices. But I think the tipping point is that for most people, either consumers or the majority of businesses, this whole thing was a race, like I mentioned before, about how much computing power do you need because then you can run better applications and then that whole thing can speed up. And I think fewer and fewer people now are really concerned with the speed of those applications or that that's not where the primary efficiency is going to come from. They, they have all the computing power they need to run the applications they need. You know, certainly if, if they were to take a step into running machine learning algorithms or running you know, DNA folding or something like that, um, then they would need more compute power, but most people aren't there. And so I think for most people, it's become sufficient. And I think that the reason that that's important is that leads to building on top of that foundation, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. and building more software, more services, you know, software that can do more interesting things rather than just run faster. Yeah, it's sort of analogous um, to bandwidth. And, you know, the, the, you know, it was so important when the internet first came about, you know, to what speed was your modem, you know, that sort of thing. And how fast could your dial up get you online? And then, you know, how fast was whatever fiber optics or pipe you were using to get bandwidth? Now today, you know, for the most part, people don't think too much about whether or not their internet is, is fast. It's just is for you know depending on you know there are places obviously that uh where it isn't as fast as others but it's not that same like you know uh you know situation that it was in the 90s i remember where you know you really waited for the next iteration of speed of whatever it happened to be either it's a processor or in bandwidth to be able to do what you had to do uh in an efficient way so i think we've uh we've eclipsed that we moved beyond beyond that like yeah. we have with a number of other things we're going to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. The, the bandwidth point is a great one. I feel like we're, maybe we're not quite there yet, but I could see maybe in a couple of years we'd be like, whatever happened to Gs? You know, the 3G, the 4G, the 5G. I, I, I kind of can't imagine there's going to be quite as much, um, you know, fervor around like 6G as there has been around 5G, partly because I think we've seen that, that you know, all of that hype around 5G hasn't necessarily translated into some new plateau of, of things for no i think it's bred a lot of cynicism is what's happened yeah. and some people are now i'm not paying attention to whatever the next g is because i spent all my you know brain power worrying about 5g that's not really been that huge of an impact on my life my work life in any way 
Yeah, yeah. So the next one that we had on the list uh, was whatever happened to unified communications. I, I think like you mentioned, this megahertz was the whole thing, uh, your introduction to the tech world. UC was one of my introductions, I think, into this role at CompTIA. I think it was one of the first things I looked at. We had a unified communications oh. community. I used to be fairly involved with that one. And it seemed like very quickly that kind of went away. It was a huge topic in the industry. You know, we're going to have these unified communications platforms and everyone is going to be able to tie together all of the different types of communication. And it certainly seemed like something was um, that was important. You know, a lot of people yeah. do have a lot of different communication styles and formats, and it would be nice to tie it all together. But um, it, it never quite happened. And again, you can definitely find UC still being talked about out there, mm -hmm. but not nearly at the same level of hype that it was, I'd say, you know, seven to 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I'd agree. At the time, it really seemed like that sort of um, that nirvana marriage of both heart. We finally can bring the hardware people and the software people and the telephony people all into, you know, one world and then have all that integrated for the user. And I still think that is what we all, I mean, we, we technically are on a unified communication tool right this second, you know, as, as we're recording Bali, but um, but yeah, the the way the hype around it as a standalone thing, as a category, um, definitely went away. And I know that in the as a service world, especially in the in the telecom world, UCAS or Universe, Unified Communications as a Service, I go to events where it's a lot of t uh, telecom people. It's a big deal in their world still, but it, it essentially represents what's happened to a lot of technologies. They've moved from the on-premise world to the cloud world. And that's what UCAS is, a subscription model. And companies will pay to have all of their communications dealt with by somebody else, a provider on the back end. And I think that's the model that's going to continue to to flourish. And the days when you had proprietary systems and the vendors who sold that for unified communications, A, that was really expensive. B, I think there was a lot of integration problems that came up and you can speak to the technology issues here. Um, but a lot of that, it's a, so I think unified communications as we understood it back then was almost the domain only of an enterprise level company not a smaller company and um and so it couldn't be a universal it was expensive and it was clunky so maybe it didn't necessarily go away but maybe this is just the natural evolution for it to move to more of an as a service type model yeah i, I think all that is right um and there's definitely been a lot of change and and you've got people that are kind of able to subscribe to if not unified communication as a service, then just communication as a service, right? You know, they can kind of pick their own tools and they can kind of choose for themselves how much integration they want between the tools. And, and you're right, integration is really hard. And I think a lot of companies found that as they're integrating, they're, they're bouncing up against employee behavior, right? So like if, even if they get all these things tied together, are yeah. people really going to use it, right? And I think this is kind of another flavor of, the, the computing power problem where you can get to a point where computing power is sufficient. I think you can get to a point where the best technical solution doesn't necessarily overcome, you know, the friction that comes from employee behavior or workforce culture or whatever it might be, right? Because some of these solutions definitely worked technically, but it's when you try to put it into practice that I think people ran into problems, right? And I think that that has turned into kind of an ongoing thread, you know, ever, ever since the days of unified communication that like you've got a technology, 
but how is it going to be adopted? It's not just a matter of throwing it into a rack in your server room and now it's up and running and you're going to gain the benefits. If, it, mm -hmm. if this is technology that has to be woven through process and woven through workflow, how exactly is that going to work? Yeah, I think that's a nice segue into our next one, which also involves thinking about the ramifications of the user in addition to the technology itself. And that one was uh, bring your own device, um, BYOD, as, as it was called, which was a huge topic of discussion. We talked a lot about it at CompTIA, both externally, like as a member thing that we talked about, but also internally, we talked about, you know, it um, for our own staff and whether as people, you know, became um, more dependent on their laptops and their phone, their smartphones and their tablets, um, whether or not as an employee, um, you should just use your own device as opposed to a company issued one. And there, and there's so many pros and cons for this, that the way that I look at it is um, this is a classic case where the bi where binary doesn't work. It's not the, yeah, it's not, you know, only work issued devices. That's the only way we do it. Or everybody can take their own device and we're not going to police that at all. It had to be a middle ground. And you could almost see that this is where we were going to end up, that it was going to be some combination of um, the work environment, um, having some control over the devices that their employees use, but the employees having some flexibility with their own devices as well. And, Again, that makes it more of a management hassle, but uh, it's probably the best solution. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point that, you know, a lot of these things aren't binary. It's yeah. sort of like there's going to be a mix. There's going to be a blending of, of something. I think with this one, the interesting part was kind of even with that blending, where is the center of gravity? I think so many people thought the center of gravity was going to be towards BYOD and companies were going to get out of having to do device support and device uh, distribution and all of those things. Yeah. But I think what companies found is that they were giving up too much then, you know, that they were, they were giving up too much, especially around security. And in fact, if they went ahead and sort of distributed their own devices, uh, especially when um, administrative tools started showing up for the devices that employees wanted, right? So instead of saying, you know, hey, this is the cell phone we're giving you, we know it's not great. They can say, hey, we're giving you an iPhone. Like we're giving you an iPhone, we're giving you a top of the line Android phone. You can choose between those. We can support both of them because we can administer them. Um, I think that companies found that, that they were able to retain a little bit more control then. And then the second big thing they did was a little bit of hardening of systems. Again, this was one thing that really was allowed because of cloud systems, that if you're using cloud systems, and you can bake all the security into that, then you can have users access it from wherever and, and you don't have to worry about exactly how much security is on the device. So I think companies did those two things and I feel like the center of gravity definitely moved back towards corporate owned devices with some amount of BYOD allowed. Uh, and I'm sure there are some you know, smaller companies, maybe medium sized companies out there that still have a, a relatively heavy BYOD policy but I think our research has shown that uh, most companies are kind of managing their own thing now, but giving employees enough flexibility that they're not going to revolt. Yeah, I think that's the key is that it's giving them the flexibility to feel like, you know, this is a company issued phone, but I still feel like it's my phone and, you know, to a certain extent. And um, I think it's 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 almost psychological a little bit. So, yeah. And um um, I know for a while there were people that carried around like two two phones, you know, the personal and the uh, and the business. And I think that that's untenable. I don't know how anybody could keep that up for too long. So I think we're settling on a pretty good solution here. 
Well, not so, only is it untenable, I mean, imagine the amount of breakage that you would have, right? I mean, you and I have both. Oh, my um, God. I, I am the beneficiary. Uh, I'm the beneficiary of having my work environment be in, in charge of my devices because I've lost a couple of phones. I've lost a laptop. Not lost. I guess it's more like misplaced at TSA. This <laughs> seems to be my my favorite place to lose things is in the airport. Um but uh, but because all of my stuff was in the cloud, it was not a, a complete crisis, and the device itself could be rendered a brick in a second. So yeah. um, th these are the good things about having your work people be in charge of uh, in charge of your devices. So what was last on our list there? Or close yeah, I think list? we got time for one more here. Oh, we do. Okay, uh, a little bit wonky, but it's whatever happened to the software wars? I think there used to be yes. so much discussion around like which language are you going to use to code? And some of that was maybe around like, which platform are you going to use? Are you using, you know, building a mobile native app or are you building something on the web or what are you doing? But there, there was a lot of debate around mm -hmm. software languages, you know, like kind of Java versus .NET, you know, something like that. Uh, or maybe even overall approaches like open source versus proprietary code. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that if we were to call in a couple of software developers, they might, um, really adamantly tell us that these debates haven't gone away. But I think from our perspective, looking out at the broader industry, we don't see that debate happening as much. Is that kind of your experience and your viewpoint on it? Yeah, as I alluded to earlier, or didn't allude, I told you earlier that, um, you know, I spent the beginning of my technology journalism career chasing around megahertz speeds. Uh, my next my next beat was software. And at the time, it was all about this. It was, you know, the debate over Java had just become like a big deal. And it was in every headline. And it was, you know, how is Java going to upend the, you know, traditional programming world? And then it became this war with .NET, which was the Microsoft platform at the time. And, and, and I had a cover story, I remember. It was like, I swear to God, it was like J2EE versus .NET, you know, it was set up like a boxing kind of metaphor. And um, it was a big thing at the time, even not just for the developers, it was a big thing for the businesses. And, you know, they, you know, each business was trying to outshine one another, like our language is better and, and, and that sort of thing. And today, and then the whole Linux thing and open source, that was a whole other um, related, but a whole other um, set of editorial decisions we had to make about how to cover that. But I just don't see that anymore. And, you know, you we we know developers, as you mentioned, we know people steeped in the software world we, we can easily argue that these are two, these are still very important debates to be had amongst themselves. But from a public standpoint, when you think about customers and channel companies who would be selling products that may have been developed on one of these platforms, those things are not front and center for them at all anymore. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so. And I, I think the nature of the debate was around what's going to become dominant here. And I, I think that came from yeah. the previous few decades of, of thinking that there would be a dominant model, right? Whether that's, you know, Microsoft Windows on PCs or IBM in mainframes, you know, there, there are going to be these dominant models. And I don't think people quite realized at the time of all these, you know, heavy debates that we are moving into a little bit more of an age of abundance where there's going to be so much technology happening in so many different ways. And there would be a lot of different languages and approaches used for specific purposes. And I think that's what you see today. I think you definitely see a lot of leading candidates out there. You know, Java, JavaScript are still very popular. Python is very popular for data manipulation. Um, so you've got these different things that uh, have significant popularity, but there's not like 
one to rule them all, right? It's a lot of different things for a lot of different purposes and you need a lot of different specialists. And, you know, so many companies now are kind of doing their own software development for their own purposes and they need specialists for, you know, the language that they're using or the approach that they're using. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of the way that the software world has evolved. And, you know, like with all of these things, I, I think we see them disappear and that leads to this larger question of like, what's going on in the tech landscape. And I think with this one, that theme of abundance is one that we've talked about quite a bit before, you know, that there's, there's enough pie here for everyone um, because that, that pie is, is growing. It's not just getting divided up in the same way that it used to be. Yeah. There's the, the, the days of anything being monolithic are really gone in tech. Um, there's so many choices, types of companies, types of technologies, types of business models. It, it, it I, it's sort of analogous to the, the way that, television has evolved if you think about it you know growing up you know there were three channels on your tv and and that was it three major stations you know then cable came along and and then premium cable came along and now it's streaming services and pretty much you know it used to be that everybody watched the same show that night and talked about it the next day now you have no idea what anyone watched because there's eight million choices out there um you can argue whether this is good or bad but um but it is reality. And I think with the technology world, same thing. Now there are you know, tons of different choices, which I think is a great opportunity, whether you're in the business of developing and creating something with technology or selling it, you have a lot more choices or buying it, frankly. Um, it's a little messier, obviously, um, but uh, you know that uh, opens up other doors of opportunity for the people who understand how to manage all this stuff. Um, but I think that's that's the the journey we've been on is a, you know a journey from one to many kind of um, out there, and I don't see that retracting anytime soon. Yeah, well, that's probably a good place to land this little discussion. Uh, it, yeah. it has been fun to think about these. You know, if, if anyone out there uh, strongly disagrees with us on any of these, or if anyone has any ideas, maybe we would do a sequel to this episode. You yeah. Know, we'll have other things that they're like, hey, whatever happened to this or that? Uh, yeah, or that never went away. What are you two talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to do this again. But uh, yeah, thanks for. Thanks for joining and, uh, and running through these with me. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrea McMillan. And Carolyn, I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye-bye.